You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, um, America's Web Radio listeners. My name is Jeff Lucas. I am the host of the Surveyor's Hour. Uh, this is my third episode as your host, and uh, we are um, have been working on uh, some issues with with surveying. Um, again, I'm um, um, I'm wanting to hear uh, from the audience uh, what what you want me to talk about. So uh, you can send your questions and comments about the show uh, to Jeff. That's J E F F at America's WebRadio.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, until I do, I guess I will uh, continue talking about uh, surveying and, and the law. Uh, I was uh, in Golden, Colorado last week and uh, had a good time there with the Colorado surveyors. Uh, I want to thank uh, Casey King in particular uh, for all the work she did and making that conference happen. And uh, I had a good time. Uh, it's a beautiful country out there. We, um, I presented for two days um, out there, and uh, one of the <clears throat> one of the courses I did was the one that uh, we're we've been talking about for the last uh, two weeks, the last two Mondays, and that is uh, how to make a boundary determination that will win in court. So, um, and that's important uh, if you uh, are a surveyor and you are doing property surveys or. Um, more technically correct, uh, retracement, property retracement surveys uh, for for people and, and organizations, uh, companies, commercial companies. Um, you, you've got to really operate as if um, any any survey that you do could end up in court. And when you go to court, uh, you want to be on the winning side. Uh, you do not want to be on the losing side. You want to have, in other words, you want to have uh, correct results, and uh, we'll we'll be talking about correct results um, more in the coming weeks. But uh, yes, you so you you want to be on the winning side of the case um, because there's just less liability being there. So um, where we left off last week was um, we started talking about we started talking about evidence, and evidence is important. Uh, for the retracing surveyor. Um, retracement surveying uh, is largely an evidentiary exercise uh, as opposed to a measurement task. We, we discussed the two roles of the surveyor uh, previously. The surveyor's either, when it went in the property context, we're talking about property boundaries uh, primarily on this show and the legal aspects of surveying and uh, the legal aspects of property and, and related issues. So <clears throat> that that's our focus. So when I talk about the surveyor, generally speaking, I am talking about the surveyor in either the role of original surveyor or retracing surveyor. Now, it will be primarily the role of retracing surveyor because that's the vast majority of the work that uh, surveyors today are doing. An original survey in contrast to retracement surveying is a measurement and math task. It is, the, the goal of the original surveyor uh, is to lay out new lines for a new subdivision of property and, and lay those lines out as precisely as possible. Uh, with, with regard to the new lines that are being created, 
uh, a developer has um, a, a piece of property, uh, some acreage, and decides that uh, that developer decides that um, that he or she wants to um, subdivide the property into residential lots or even commercial lots. Uh, those those lines that go on the ground uh, first, the, the lines are or the lots are created on a map, and then the uh, the task of the original surveyor is to uh, go out there and put those lines on the ground and those corners as precisely as possible. Uh, that <clears throat> compared to retracement surveying, uh, original um, surveying work being done right now in America is is probably a small percentage of the overall property boundary surveying that um, that is taking place. So uh, our focus will primarily, for, for at least for the next few weeks, uh, as we're discussing this topic of um, uh, how to make a boundary determination that will uh, win in court, we're primarily discussing retracement surveying, and that's an evidentiary exercise. It's a it's a gathering uh, and a and uh, evaluation of the best uh, available evidence that will um, lead to a determination of where the property lines uh, have become established on the ground. That's that's basically what retracement surveying is. Uh, boundary lines become established on the ground in various and sundry ways, um, like when an original surveyor lays out those lines for the very first time, and then uh, the landowners buy those lots and move on to the property and go into reliance on those corners that were set by the original surveyor. Um, that's how boundary lines get established, but boundary lines get established in other ways as well um, because every boundary line, every property boundary line in the United States of America has already become established on the ground. Well, there will be some situations where, of course, you have a dispute over the location of the property line, but by and large, um, all, all boundary lines have become established on the ground whether or not they were have ever been surveyed or not. And the um, quick um, test for that would be to take any boundary dispute to court with or without surveying evidence, with or without uh, surveyors and maps and survey maps. And um, there will be an adjudication of that property line. And the reason there will be an adjudication is because the law and equity uh, have established every property line on the ground already. So the retracing surveyor's goal is to find um, where those lines have been located on the ground. And measurements uh, and deeds, th- these are all uh, these are all some of the evidence that will be gathered by the surveyor. Uh, but in the final analysis, um, um, the surveyor um, is to... Um, is, to, is the, the job of the surveyor is to um, create a well-reasoned opinion on where that surveyor believes that the property lines have become established on the ground. There's, there's no other reason to have retracing surveyors or to do retracement surveying, uh, surveying practice. Um, so let's talk about evidence, just uh, generally speaking. Um, evidence comes into court. There's admissible evidence. There's inadmissible evidence. Uh, the surveyor usually doesn't worry uh, too much about um, 
about inadmissible and admissible evidence because the surveyor can um, gather and um, and uh, evaluate uh, all kinds of evidence. Uh, there's no limit to what the surveyor can look at, but certainly there is irrelevant evidence. But in order to win in court, you have to uh, the the uh, preponderance of the evidence that leads to the um, to the truth of the matter, the preponderance of, of the evidence that leads to um, the um, uh, the facts as determined by the trier of facts uh, is what will win in civil court. And a preponderance of the evidence is um, sometimes referred to as uh, the greater weight of the evidence, more than 50% of the evidence. That would be a preponderance of the evidence. So it's it's not a it's not a real high standard. It's certainly not as high as the criminal standard beyond all reasonable doubt. The criminal standard beyond all reasonable doubt is almost certain, and um, no doubt many of you um, are familiar with the uh, the O.J. criminal uh, O.J. Simpson criminal trial, and uh, they they couldn't convict him in the criminal trial because the glove wouldn't fit. And because the glove wouldn't fit, that created just enough doubt where he couldn't be convicted uh, of, of, the, uh, of, of the murder. <clears throat> so somewhere between a preponderance of the evidence, the greater weight of the evidence, and beyond reasonable doubt, almost certain, there's clear and convincing evidence. Now, clear and convincing evidence, is uh, you, it's, a, it's a heightened standard, what you would uh, refer to as a heightened standard. It... Um, is more than a preponderance, but less than uh, all reasonable doubt. And that uh, usually, that standard in most states, in most jurisdictions, would be what would be used for something like uh, adverse possession um, and uh, fraud uh, would be another uh, would be another tort uh, that um, that would probably in most jurisdictions. You're going to have to have clear and convincing evidence to to prove that, to prove adverse possession, uh, all of the elements of adverse possession, and to prove all of the elements of of fraud. That, so that's going to be a heightened standard. And then uh, below uh, preponderance of the evidence, uh, almost nothing, almost no evidence is what's referred to as a scintilla of evidence. A scintilla of evidence. So um, between a preponderance, which is the greater weight, and a scintilla, which is almost nothing, there is substantial evidence. Um, One of the things that substantial evidence is used for is uh, upholding a trial court decision. So if you're you're in in trial, if you're in the trial court and it's a a boundary dispute case um, and the the judgment doesn't go your way, um, and you're going to take it up on appeal, all that the trial court decision, the judgment of the trial court, um, has to do is um, meet the substantial evidence uh, criteria. Uh, if there was substantial evidence um, that, uh, that led to um, the, the judgment that was made, that supports the judgment that was made, then the trial court will not be overturned. You're going to have to prove that the trial court... Um, uh, made an error, or uh, or didn't uh, or didn't have uh, um, enough evidence to support the decision by a preponderance thereof. If you're going to 
if you're going to overturn that trial court. So that's basically our, for lack of a better term, that would be our evidence scale. But again, not all evidence is good evidence. Um, and um, um, it's the evidence that leads uh, to the determination of the matter. It's the evidence that leads to the determination of the matter, that, that um, the greater weight thereof, the a preponderance of the evidence. All right. Um, we also have rules of evidence, and some of these rules um, are pretty important. Uh, we're not going to go through all the rules, but um, back in the 1970s, I think it was about 1975, uh, the federal government uh, enacted the federal rules of civil procedure and the federal rules of evidence. Um, unofficial count, and this is based on some research that I did uh, on the Internet and uh, reading uh, a, few, uh, a few papers that are out there on the Internet, uh, since the enactment of the Federal Rules of Evidence, um, and again, this is an unofficial count, but I believe somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 42 states have uh, have adopted those rules. So the Federal Rules, look, either whole or in part, or with some slight modifications, 42 states uh, have adopted those rules. So the Federal Rules of Evidence are... Um, are, are, are now pretty much the majority rule in the United States of America. Jeff, we're uh, going to need to take a break. I hate to interrupt you, but uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Jeff Lucas right after this. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, welcome back. We have been talking about uh, evidence, and we just got into our discussion of the rules of evidence. Uh, one very, and uh, the federal rules, the adoption of the federal rules, I believe that was in 1975. Uh, one very um, interesting aspect, especially for an expert witness, um, that could be a surveyor, engineer, whatever field you're in, um, one of the interesting aspects of the federal rules is um, is um, the opinion an opinion on the ultimate issue. It's called the ultimate issue rule. Uh, the ultimate issue 
um, there, there's an ultimate issue in, in any in any case. Okay, um, in the uh, Dalbert versus Merrill Dow uh, chemicals case, which is a pretty infamous case on the rules of evidence, um, the ultimate issue was um, how did the babies um, get their birth defects? Was it just an accident of nature? Or was it the Dow chemicals that the mothers ingested? Uh, I believe it was some chemical for uh, nausea that the mothers ingested uh, while they were pregnant. So that would be the ultimate issue in that case. And then there's the Kumo tires case. Um, why did the tire blow? Was it a an environmental issue or was it a manufacturer's defect? So there's an ultimate issue in in every case. And the case of a boundary dispute, uh, the ultimate issue is where's the property line between the plaintiff and the defendant. <clears throat> and we're talking about fact issues here. We're not talking about <clears throat> legal issues. Um, <clears throat> but um, prior to the adoption of the rules, um, the, um, uh, the majority opinion in the United States of America, meaning... Um, more than uh, 25 states. I don't know how how many states uh, this was the rule, but uh, in the major the majority rule in the United States of America was that an expert could not come into court and give an opinion uh, on the ultimate issue in the case. Um, that was considered to be uh, usurping uh, the the. Uh, um, the, the right of the trier of the facts to, to determine what the facts are. In other words, the jury would be tainted. Uh, so that was the majority rule. So even if you wanted to come in uh, as an expert and give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case, where's the property line between um, between uh, the plaintiff and the defendant, you, you couldn't do that. It was called... Uh, uh, that was uh, considered to be invasion of the province of the jury. So, um, the, but the federal rules change that uh, with Rule 704. It's called the ultimate issue rule. Now, and I'll just read uh, from Rule 704, in general, not automatically objectionable. An opinion is not objectionable just because it embraces an ultimate issue to be decided by the trier of fact. So uh, the ultimate issue has, has been a... Um, uh, a sea change in the um, liability of uh, surveyors in particular uh, on, the, uh, on the ultimate issue because prior to the, the adoption of the rules, you couldn't give an opinion as an expert on, in the majority of the states. You couldn't give an opinion on the ultimate issue um, even if you wanted to. But now, uh, with the adoption of the rules, uh, by the federal government and with uh, 42 states out of 50 uh, adopting the rules as well uh, in whole or in part or with some slight modifications um, it's it's uh, it's um, ultimately um, um, the, the the expert witness uh, must have an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case uh, you, you you have to have an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case, or else um, there is no reason for you to come in and testify uh, as an expert. If you, the only reason we have experts come into court 
uh, and to testify is because they are deemed to be useful. Their, their, their testimony is deemed to be useful. And this is especially true uh, when it comes to surveying because surveying um, is um, it can get very complicated for a jury uh, to follow the in- intricacies of, of surveying property. Uh, as I've said before, it's a, it's a very esoteric uh, subject. Um, not a lot of people understand it. Some surveyors don't even understand it. Um, but um, experts, uh, especially in a boundary dispute case, are are, are needed, and they're, they're needed to help uh, get the jury or the judge without a jury to get them uh, through through the case and understanding some concepts that are sometimes uh, for, very difficult to understand. Uh, so now uh, the ultimate issue rule says that um, it's no longer objectionable just because it embraces uh, an ultimate issue. So the, uh, this rule can be used either as a sword or a shield. If uh, we're in a case and we have a plaintiff, uh, a, we're going to say a boundary dispute case, and we have a plaintiff and a defendant, and then we're, we'll say we're going to have two competing surveys, Okay. Um, one surveyor uh, on the one side um, doesn't have an opinion uh, on where the property line is located. And for some of you, this may seem strange, but uh, for, those, um, for, for those of you in the audience who are surveyors, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because surveyors have been told for, for years, um, for the last six decades, that they're not supposed to... Um, they're not supposed to give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case because of a misunderstanding about the rules. Um, in, in his book, Evidence and Procedures and Boundary Control and Legal Principles, this is what uh, Curtis Brown uh, taught surveyors, and, and surveyors uh, glommed onto that idea that uh, they don't need to give an opinion of, of the ultimate issue in the case. So many surveyors, uh, when they're surveying property, and, and this, is, this is a problem, um, this is a problem for landowners, and it's a problem for the land surveying profession. They, uh, they, they aren't even attempting to uh, determine where the property lines have become established on the ground. They're simply um, taking the geometry from uh, the deed. It could be uh, a deed for a, a lot in a subdivision, and you pull the subdivision plat, and there's a the geometry is there, the bearings, the distances, and they have been taught that all they need to do is put that geometry on the ground, and uh, that will certainly be in conflict with something that's already there uh, in, in most in most situations. And this, in many cases, actually creates a con- uh, a conflict that could ultimately end up being in court. But this, uh, and, and we were taught also surveyors. We were taught. I was taught. Uh, that we don't have anything to do with uh, property rights. We, we don't have anything to say about where the property is located on the ground. Our only job is to stake the geometry from the deed and put that on the ground, stake out. If you're doing, if you're, if you're in, uh, if you're doing a property survey and you're using the word stake out, then you're not doing a retracement survey. You're doing something else. So this, uh, the surveyor on one side has made no attempt to uh, form an opinion about where the property lines are located on the ground. And then the surveyor on the other side uh, understands that um, 
uh, he or she is uh, ultimately responsible uh, for the ultimate issue in the case, making um, rendering a well-reasoned opinion on where the property lines have become established on the ground. So the first surveyor, as he gets on the stand, uh, he will be proffered as an expert, and um, but um, we're going to know on our side that the sur- the surveyor doesn't even have a uh, doesn't have an answer for the ultimate issue. He didn't even attempt to have an answer for the ultimate issue, and so um, we, we, we'll have a couple of choices when when uh, he is um, brought up onto the stand and. Um, uh, and proffered uh, as an expert, then our side will get to challenge him, and we can just ask him uh, what his opinion is on the ultimate issue in the case. And if he has no opinion, then uh, obviously he's not needed, and so we don't need to hear any testimony from him. So you, you can use it as a sword and eliminate him from the, from the trial. Or uh, you, you leave him in and, um, and, and just let him... Um, uh, let him lose all credibility on the stand. Either either way, you're u- using the ultimate issue uh, rule uh, as a as a sword to get rid of the other side's expert. So if we get rid of the other side's expert, then that means our uh, expert is the only surveyor who's going to testify in at trial. Now, generally speaking, in a boundary dispute case um, where you have uh, plaintiff and a defendant, and you have two competing surveys, um, generally speaking, uh, one of those surveyors is going to be right, and the other surveyor is going to be wrong. Uh, the judge uh, cannot, um, uh, in a boundary dispute case, uh, can't split the baby, can't do, uh, the, the, can't do the Solomon Act, so to speak. Um, the, the judge has to rule or the jury... Um, if there is a jury, has to rule on um, on one of the two competing lines. And if those are generally represented by uh, two competing surveys, then one surveyor is going to win and the other surveyor is going to lose. And as I said at the beginning of the program today, you want to be on the winning side. Uh, you do not want to be uh, the loser in a boundary dispute case because from there, uh, things could get um, not so uh, nice for you as the as the losing expert, especially uh, as a losing expert who didn't even have an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. So, in other words, um, that can be seen that that losing surveyor actually started a nothing burger litigation. Didn't even have an opinion on the ultimate issue. Didn't even have an opinion on where the property lines are located on the ground. And the survey was probably could most likely be in that situation the spark that actually uh, ignited the, the the entire litigation, and uh, we see this a lot, uh, way too often in, in the land surveying profession. The, the 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 cases out there involving land surveyors are just legion, um, and you see land surveyors in litigation a whole lot more than you see. Any other professional that I can I can think of, I have I have tried to find cases involving uh, engineers and architects uh, and other professionals, and they're just they're just not out there because um, because basically basically when a engineer uh, makes a bad design or has bad calculations that uh, that, that mess up a design, 
um, they're not going to go, you know, all the way to the pro- proverbial mat. They're not going all the way to the Supreme Court over uh, a bad design, and it can be proved to be bad. Um, that usually just becomes a business decision. You know, how how uh, what is this going to cost for me to get uh, get out of this case? Um, but boundary disputes are a completely different animal. Um, the principles run really, really high. Um, there might not be a lot of money in the war chest, but the principles run really, really high. And in, in many cases, um, when the surveyor comes in and, um, and puts new monuments and new lines on the ground that uh, don't agree with the existing lines that are on the ground and, and starts, um, th- that, that ends up uh, actually starting a lawsuit and neighbor usually sues the other neighbor because they're trying to get their land back or they're trying to get land that they didn't even know they uh, had a right to until the surveyor came along and, and uh, gave them the suggestion that, uh, uh, you know, that land over there is actually yours. Jeff, we're going to need to uh, stop there, take a break. We'll be back with Jeff Lucas right after this. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, folks. Uh, we were talking about the uh, ultimate issue rule, Rule 704, um, under the uh, Federal Rules of Evidence, which have been uh, those federal rules have been adopted by 42 states um, uh, across the country, now making them the majority rule. Uh, when it goes, uh, when it comes to the rules of evidence <clears throat> and the ultimate issue rule. All right. So before the break, we use the ultimate issue rule as a sword to get rid of the um, uh, the competing expert on the other side of the case. Now we're going to use it as a shield 
Um, so um, our guy gets up on the stand, or our gal gets up on the stand, and um, um, one of the first questions we ask, after uh, she gets qualified, one of the first things uh, where we're heading for is the ultimate issue in the case. Where's the property line uh, between the plaintiff and the defendant, and why? And uh, we get into those questions with our expert, and the other side gets up and objects because it used to be objectionable in the majority of states of the United States. Uh, in the United States, it used to be objectionable. And here's one of those uh, esoteric aspects of, of surveying and and um, testifying in court is uh, I've been in court where the um, uh, the attorneys, uh, one, one side or the other, doesn't even know about the ultimate issue rule, uh, and the rule the rule had changed decades before, and they don't even know anything about it. Uh, you see, because they don't, you know, it's been my experience. This is this is not meant to be a knock on attorneys, but uh, unless you unless you get into this kind of stuff uh, on a regular basis, you, you don't. It, it, there's no you can't know all the rules, and they don't. A lot of attorneys don't sit down and read the rules at, at night, you know, uh, at bedtime. Um, so they don't, they don't know the rule. They don't know that um, uh, the rule had been had changed in their jurisdiction. Uh, and there's other aspects of the rule we're going to discuss uh, that's like that. Um, so then, you know, this this is stuff that you, as the expert, sometimes have to tell the attorney that you're working with. Is uh, I can give an opinion. If I'm on the stand, I can give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. And that's, you know, I've been on the stand when there's been the objection. Uh, objection, Your Honor, you can't give, you can't give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. And I've already talked uh, talked about this with our attorney, the attorney on our side, <clears throat> and he just pulls the rules out and just reads the rule. Um, Your Honor, uh, yes, you can. And so, um, if you've got, if you got. If you if you if you keep that other um, the the other surveyor who did not have um, an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case, if you keep him in the case, and he gets on the stand and he he, he loses all credibility, and it's all, at, in, at trial it's all about credibility. If you lose your credibility, then you're losing the case. Uh, he loses credibility, and we have uh, our expert gets up and she's totally credible and gives an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case, it, this is an automatic win. This is an automatic win um, uh, for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one reason is um, judges, judges hate boundary dispute cases. This, this, is, this has been my experience. They absolutely hate boundary dispute cases. And the reason that they hate boundary dispute cases is this is no knock on judges. They don't understand what the surveyors are talking about in many cases um, because it's uh, some surveyors don't know what they're talking about and they make it more confusing than it needs to be. But then uh, other other surveyors who even who uh, will just assume that they do know what they're talking about, it's still um, it's still a sort of a, a foreign language for the, uh, for the judge because uh, you can have a judge who has sat on the same bench for 25 years and maybe had one or two boundary dispute cases on their hands. Uh, the last one that I was involved uh, with uh, here in Alabama, um, 
the judge didn't, the judge, we had a trial date, the judge didn't want uh, to go to trial. The judge uh, sat down and, and tried to be a mediator. Uh, he just he just wanted everybody to agree. He didn't even want to try the case, and and that's because of again the esoteric nature of of surveying and boundaries. Um, uh, one quick example on that, and we'll get back to the rules. Is uh, when it comes to the determination of uh, of a property boundary uh, on the ground, uh, it's a two part question. There's two there's two parts to the question. The first Part of the question is what is the property? That's the legal question. What is the property? The second question is given what the property is, where is it located on the ground? Where is it located on the ground? So it's a two-part question. And you know, I had read that for years and years and years. Um, that's in evidence and procedures. It's in you know, it's in other. Uh, it, it's come up before. But I never really was able to wrap my brain around this two-part question concept until um, I was in, in law school, or it might have been right after law school, it might have been right after passing the bar. It finally hit me. It was an epiphany. It's a two-part question. There's a legal question, what is the property? And then there's a factual question of where is it located on the ground? And that's what we're talking about here with the ultimate issue rule, giving an opinion on the factual question of where it is located on the ground. Uh, so the two do not uh, do not necessarily uh, jive with each other. Um, there, there's a diff- there can be a difference, and it can be significant. There can be a difference between um, the title documents, what the property is. And the question of location, where it's located on the ground, it could be a huge difference. And this is something very difficult um, uh, for uh, for people to understand. I was, like I said, I was just in Colorado. We were just going over this this same issue, and then we were talking about the boundary establishment doctrines, and even surveyors with twenty years of experience were having. Tr- I could see they were having trouble with this idea. That the that if we're going to uh, hold a certain boundary line, that the title documents don't change, because the boundary establishment doctrines they don't they're not title doctrines they they simply they're tools for uh, for answering the location question. Now, some of you listening to me or maybe saying, Jeff, we have no idea what you're talking about. So let me give you just a quick example. Okay, an extreme example, but a pretty quick example. So um, a subdivision gets laid out by an original surveyor back in the 1940s, maybe 50s. And um, there wasn't a whole lot of zoning regulations, and uh, regulation was a little looser and and not as prevalent as it is today. Um, The surveyor um, created the subdivision plat, and all the lots are were um, the geometry on the lots is they're 100 feet wide and 150 feet deep. Well, the surveyor went to lay the lots out and didn't realize that his chain, his 200 foot chain, is 10 feet short. Yeah, it's an extreme example. So all of the lots got laid out uh, actually 90 feet wide and 140 feet deep. Then they all got um, all of the lots were conveyed. 
and people moved in uh, to their property. They they glommed on to those original stakes set by the original subdividing surveyor. They built their improvements to those stakes and those lines. They uh, they all went into reliance. The boundary lines have now become established, but there's one vacant lot that was never surveyed and never sold. So uh, a surveyor goes out there in the year 2020 and uh, finds the vacant lot, uh, starts making some, starts digging around the fences and uh, on the occupation lines, looking for uh, property corners. He's, he's in the surveyor is in retracement mode trying to find the lines that have already become established on the ground. He finds monuments at all the corners, at all four corners, and uh, a few up and down the block uh, to confirm, uh, a, a few up and down the block that is going to use to kind of confirm the location of this lot in the block. Then he starts making measurements, uh, measuring between these points, and he's finding that all of the li- all of the boundaries, all of the lots are in the vicinity of 90 feet wide and only 140 feet deep. But the title documents say it should be 100 feet wide and 150 feet deep. There's the diff- there's your difference between title to property and where it's located on the ground. Now, an, an attorney, uh, and, and it, it, just like just like the judge, just like the judge, um, and this is no knock on attorneys, uh, but you can have an attorney matter of fact i was talking to an, uh, an attorney a couple of weeks ago who's been in practice for 15 years in a rural county here in in alabama and he had never been involved in a boundary dispute case never been involved in a boundary dispute case so for for many attorneys um and many surveyors there is in their mind there is no difference between the title to the property and where it's located on the ground and that's what a lot of surveyors don't understand. That's why a lot of surveyors simply go, they, they simply go out to the field, find um, a starting point, and then um, they get an azimuth or a bearing. Uh, that's all you need. If, if, you, if you find a starting point with a relationship to the property you're attempting to survey, you have a starting point with a relationship, like a, another, another lot down the block in a subdivision, you find a property corner there, then you uh, out front along the right of way, and then you get an azimuth along that right of way by finding another uh, monument or two uh, on that right of way. Then from there, you can go uh, perfectly stake out with with high precision. You could stake out the uh, the geometry from the plat and and put the perfect title uh, put the t- title documents actually on the ground, and that's. And, and that's uh, that's what some surveyors do um, to solve the dilemma, which appears to be a dilemma to a lot of people, between the title to your, your property and where it's actually located on the ground. So, um, so we'll go back to our extreme example. So the surveyor um, goes out there, and all of the lots in the block are only 90 feet wide and 150 feet deep. Uh, and his, his vacant lot is uh, only 90 feet wide and 150 feet deep. Turns that in to the uh, to the uh, uh, to the to, to the client's attorney. The client's attorney's first um, uh, first uh, knee jerk reaction is going to be um, they've lost land through adverse possession, or possibly they need to make an adverse possession claim uh, because um, because the title documents. Um, 
do not reflect uh, accurately where the property is located on the ground. And when the survey is taken to uh, to the uh, building department uh, for uh, for approval for a, a building permit, the, the the guy at the building department isn't going to like it either. Um, this doesn't mean, though, because the title attorney doesn't like it, because the building department uh, doesn't like it, doesn't mean that it isn't the true and correct location uh, of that property on the ground. Jeff, we're going to have okay. to. We're going to need to stop there and take a break. But before we do, I want you to tell me a little bit about the engineering company that you're with. Yes, um, that's uh, ESP and Associates um, Engineering, Surveying, and Planning, and they are. Uh, we are located. Our headquarters is located in Fort Mill, um, South Carolina, which, which is the Charlotte area. Uh, yeah, um, multidisciplined. Um, Footprint uh, foot, uh, in 37 states. Wow. And do you all specialize in something, or is it? Yeah, well, we have, uh, we, I like to say we have all the bells and whistles. We've got all the tools. We do mobile LIDAR, stationary LIDAR, aerial LIDAR, um, hydrographic surveying, uh, drones. We, uh, we do drones. So we, we have all of the uh, fancy equipment. So if anybody has equipment questions, I can bring an expert onto the program to answer those. <laughs> and uh, who are, uh, and I don't want names of customers, but uh, who, who basically utilizes your all services? Um, we do a lot of work for uh, departments of transportation and, uh, and state and, gov- you know, and federal government work. But we do a lot of large commercial pro- uh, projects. Wow, and in 37 states. So give us the name, and and, uh, do you all have a a website? Yeah, um, name is uh, ESP and Associates. It's www.espassociates.com. ESP is an extrasensory perception. As we like to say, we just know. (laughs) Well, that's good. And uh, if somebody needs you, uh, they can go to your website and... um, Give them a call, and we want to thank them for uh, letting uh, Jeff do a great surveying show. We'll be back right after a couple of messages. Stay tuned. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you, David. Uh, thank you, audience. And um, we're back from the break. We've been talking about the uh, rules of evidence, and in particular, we spent some time here on Rule 704, opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. Um, <clears throat> we'll take a uh, look at a couple of uh, other rules um, here real quick. Let me flip over to the rules. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, another um, uh, witness rule. The the 700 rules, um, 70, let me just look here, 701 through 706. Uh, generally uh, deal with expert witness testimony uh, and um, and the ultimate issue rule is in the 700 rules. If we flip back uh, to the 600 rules, these are these are generally um, <clears throat> the rules uh, dealing with uh, all other testimony, okay? Dealing with all other testimony. And uh, one of the rules that the surveyor needs to be familiar with because if, if you're planning on testifying, uh, in court, um, you, you you are going to want to talk to your attorney. Either you're going to uh, you're, you're in, in court for one reason or the other. Um, you, you may be in court as a as a testifying surveyor defending defending yourself, okay? Um, because you've been sued uh, over uh, over a survey issue, or you've been hired as an expert to come in. And uh, testify in a boundary dispute case, or you've been hired as an expert to come in and testify in the defense of, of another uh, of another surveyor, or to help um, with the prosecution of another surveyor. So there's three or four reasons why you're in court as as an expert uh, surveyor. Um, <clears throat> but one of the rules you need to be aware of, because this in many in many many times has become a fight. Uh, when you're um, as an ex- as an expert, it's uh, it's Rule 615. It's in the it's it's in the all other witnesses rules, the six the 600 rules. Uh, it's called uh, invoking the rule. When you hear the attorneys talk about invoking the rule, they're talking about invoking this rule, uh, Rule 615, excluding witnesses. I'm just going to go ahead and read from the federal. Uh, rules of Evidence, uh, six, uh, Rule 615. At a party's request, the uh, court must order witnesses excluded so that they cannot hear other witnesses' testimony, or the court may do so on its own. But this rule does not authorize excluding, A, a party who is a natural person. So we can't exclude the parties. We can't exclu- uh, exclude the plaintiff and the defendant. I mean, they, they are going to be in there, and they're going to hear all the testimony, and they're going to have testimony of their own. B, an officer or employee of a party that is not a natural person after being designated as the party's representative by its attorney. C, a, person's who's, a person whose presence a party shows to be essential to uh, presenting the uh, party's claim or defense. Or D, a person, a person authorized by statute to be present. Now... The, um, the argument, if there is an argument, will be uh, over the expert witnesses. Uh, it, it's clear to me, and it, but it's not clear to other people. And uh, it is in the federal commentary 
which I don't have right here in front of me now, and I've seen it in other commentary to the rules. This rule is not meant to exclude expert witnesses. Um, again, I'll go to Rule 615C. A person whose presence a party shows to be essential to presenting the party's claim or defense. That's you. That's the expert witness right there. Um, but not, not everybody knows that, and not everybody cares about that. Sometimes the judge doesn't care about that. But that's something, if you're hired as an expert, um, that's something you're going to have, you want to have a discussion with your attorney about because you do not want to be excluded uh, either from the depositions or from the trial. Okay, uh, You can be excluded from the depositions or not included in the depositions as long as you can read the depositions after they've been taken. Uh, because the the essence of expert witness testimony is it's opinion-based. The difference between expert witness testimony and lay witness testimony is lay witness testimony is basically fact, uh, fact-based testimony. They saw something, they heard something, they were involved in some way. Okay, they, they uh, generally cannot give uh, an opinion, on the, uh, certainly can't give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. So now they can that will probably be allowed to talk about where they have always known the property line to be. Uh, that, but that's a fact. Um, they're, they're, they're testifying as to facts there. Well, the property line's always been along the fence. Everybody knew it was along the fence. Um, that's where it is. But the expert can come in and uh, didn't, wasn't involved. As an expert witness, you probably were never involved uh, with any of the surveying that took place. You were never involved with the parties. You've been hired to come in uh, as an expert and, uh, and testify um, on the ultimate issue in the case. Uh, so you don't want to be ex- excluded from the trial testimony, and they'll do this to you. Uh, you don't want to be excluded because you want, since your testimony as an expert is going to is opinion based. Um, how can you be tainted? Okay, by hearing the testimony of someone else, okay, who gets up on the stand and, and talks about facts. As a matter of fact, um, it would be it would be to your advantage and to the advantage of your client for you to hear this other testimony uh, for several reasons. One reason is you can help your client decipher what that other expert was saying. Another reason is you want to hear what the other expert has to say because that expert might talk about something that you haven't even considered. And you probably want to consider before you get on the stand, uh, and um, uh, and 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 they get they they uh, present a gotcha question that catches you off guard and flat foot. You, you see, there's supposedly there's there's not supposed to be any more Perry Mason moments at, at trial because of discovery, um, uh, and I think that the discovery had to do with. Um, the, uh, the uh, federal rules of civil uh, civil procedure. Um, the, the rule when the rules came out, the federal rules of civil procedure and federal, federal rules of evidence all came, both came out at about the same time uh, in 1975. And um, so, civil procedure now has this discovery process in place, where uh, ostensibly, when we go to trial. The plaintiff is going to know all about the defendant's uh, case, and the defendant's going to know all about the plaintiff's case. 
and, and that includes what the witnesses are going to say. That includes what the expert witnesses are going to say. That includes the documents that are going to be provided. But you, you have to provide your documents to them, and they provide their documents to you. And that includes that includes the depositions. So we're going to depose, generally speaking. We, we want to depose uh, the expert witnesses, and so the other side's going to be able to ask our expert all the questions that they want to ask him or her. And, and figure out what the answers uh, are going to be, and um, and vice versa. Okay, uh, we get to ask our own expert questions. Uh, usually, after they, the other side, ask our expert questions because there could be some rehabilitation we want to do, or we're going to uh, uh, make you know uh, clarify some things that were said, maybe some misunderstanding. So, but there will be a record. Uh, Usually, uh, if we're paying for transcripts, now see, this is how these cases start getting expensive, and and um, and they're hard to uh, boundary dispute cases are are hard to prosecute and defend because of the expense. Um, but um, and then sometimes depositions aren't taken because of the expense. Because generally speaking, with a boundary dispute case, there is no insurance money paying the bill for the litigation. The money for the litigation is all coming out of people's pockets or corporation pockets or title company pockets. Uh, just depends on the nature of the case. So as an expert, your testimony is opinion-based. You, don't, you want to hear what the other uh, witnesses are saying. So you want to have a discussion with your, with your attorney. Uh, you, it, it, if they can afford to have you there... Um, then you probably want to see you, you. I would recommend you sit in on the depositions because you can be helpful there as well. Jeff, we're going to have to wrap it up. Okay, um, you can be helpful there as well. And um, so we'll pick up on the, the rules of evidence again uh, next week, next Monday, and uh, uh, we'll talk to you then. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.